I don't talk to Laura Johnston enough, so we're front-loading her in the podcast today. <laughs> the first three stories we're talking about will be hers. She's rushing out to her daughter's graduation. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Courtney Astolfi, and Laura Johnston, who's just raring to go. So let's get going. The Ohio House snuck a transgender sportsman into an unrelated bill with no discussion and passed it last week. Does the Ohio Senate plan a similar ploy? Laura? I got to give it to the Senate on this one. They think it's kind of shady what the House did. And Matt Huffman said, I think it's a bad way to change policy, which, okay, we don't give him kudos very often on this podcast, but kudos to Matt Huffman. So they do have their own version of the bill that hasn't gotten any hearings, hasn't gone anywhere, and they plan to take that up when they next meet, which is November. So think about it. I don't know how we're going to do this podcast without discussing (laughs) the state legislature for months and months, but um, they are going to take their own time with it, and they're not going to shove it into another bill and pass it in the middle of the night. Where he says they're going to do it the right way, they're still trying to ban transgender girls from playing girls sports right. so it's like we're gonna we're gonna do this this thing that high school experts and athlete experts say is not the way to go but we're gonna do it the right way I, it just sounds a little bit asynchronous to me maybe they won't actually do it if they get you know they have the right hearings and they hear from the experts because you're right there's currently one kid who's playing sports right now in ohio who is a transgender child um and the thing is that over like the last, I don't know, seven years or something like this, there's been 48 kids that they've looked into out of 400,000. Like this is not a problem that really needs a big solution. And what the house came up with is incredibly invasive where you could basically, if your kid gets, your daughter gets beat in any sport or you lose a championship or something, you could say, I think that girl over there, I think she's transgender. You need to prove to me she's not. And then she could have this horribly invasive test and, and, you know, an examination. And I just, God, that would be awful. Well, and I'm not even sure that's constitutional. I mean, you're getting into HIPAA violations and privacy right. issues. I mean, it's such an overreach by the gerrymandered house in Ohio. I mean, we just keep coming back to a whole bunch of lunatics have been elected because of the gerrymandered districts. So we get the fringe people and they do these crazy fringe ideas. At least, like you said, the Senate will have the hearing process and experts can be heard, which is a necessary thing. We should also point out that the House, when they did it, they tacked it onto another bill, which violates the state rules for bills. Right. You're not supposed to have multiple purpose bills. It's supposed to be single purpose. It was just interesting to have Matt Huffman holding himself <laughs> out as the hero of transparency. Way to go. Um, and the similar, similar bills in Indiana, South Dakota, and Utah um, actually, the governors have vetoed those in those states recently, which so, you know, Mike DeWine could always say, nope, we're not going to do this. But I, I, just, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, yeah that's my uh, joke for the day. I guess. Yeah, I see that happening. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What percentage of Ohio households identify as LGBTQ and how does it compare to the rest of the nation? Laura, it's Pride Month and we're doing a series of stories to to take notice of that because a whole lot of our readers feel like they have not gotten the attention that they should for the issues involving LGBTQ. So we're looking at this as one of the stories. Yeah, this is a cool story from uh, Zachary Smith, who is our data guru and looks into all sorts of census information. So this is from the census in 2020. About 1.3% of households in Ohio 
um, are LGBTQ. And those are folks who are living together. So those are couples who cohabitate. So we're not even that what's not in the stats is couples that don't live together, but about it's half and half married and unmarried, which I thought was really interesting. Like almost exactly 15,786 married couples and 15,788 unmarried. And that 1.3% is lower than the rest of the country, which probably doesn't surprise you. But when you look at where they are in Ohio, Franklin County has the bulk 19.7% of the same sex married couples. And then, uh, Cuyahoga County in Cleveland has about 12%, then Dayton, then Cincinnati with Hamilton County. So um, Columbus is the biggest spot in Ohio for this. Well, we have talked. Ohio is not a very welcoming state, and that's one of the reasons that we wonder why employers would move here. You know, Peloton was going to open a factory here, and Mm -hmm. Intel is building its big plant here. And you wonder, because they are dedicated to equity and decent treatment of people, why they're choosing Ohio when Ohio does not generally respect these rights? And that is a very good question. And uh, you've seen so many businesses react to places like Georgia or North Carolina with their bathroom ban, right? And they've said, they've kind of thrown down and been like, I'm not, we're not coming or we're not going to have this special event there. I think it was Charlotte with maybe an NBA all-star game. I, I I mean, I guess Intel saying if they're going to Columbus, at least it is probably the most one of the most gay friendly places in Ohio. But you're right. I mean, these commu- these these companies, they have a huge amount of sway and they can use it. Yeah, well, the, the faster Intel can get here, the better, because we could use that muscle to fight back against the gerrymandered legislature. It's today in Ohio. Some 37 states have passed a version of Aaron's Law, which has been hung up in the Ohio legislature. What is it? Who is Aaron? And what did she say during a visit in Ohio Tuesday? Laura? Aaron is Aaron Marin. She's from Chicago, and she's behind this bill that would require public schools to provide age-appropriate sexual abuse prevention instruction. And she told the Senate committee on Tuesday that 37 states have passed this law. She's been working to get it passed here for about... um, years i think seven years ago she said and she's come back several times to testify she doesn't want ohio to be the last one to pass this she has some ohio ties her husband grew up in the columbus suburbs basically the idea is to educate kids to be able to recognize when they're being abused and it's gotten hung up with a lot of pro you know christian groups that are worried about sex education and um one legislator is very concerned she's that they're taking away kids innocence uh, yeah i know but instead <laughs> instead of protecting kids i know protecting their abuse, innocence yeah i mean it just it seems like it, it's it's wacky we're going to pretend that there's no abuse not let the kids know what's inappropriate so they can report it and then have to deal with the incredible damage that happens later because children who are sexually abused have long-term ramifications of it. Did did she get any kind of decent reception when she was here? 
I, I don't think it's not like people were shunning her and telling her to go away. They're just saying we understand, but we have concerns. And places like the Center for Christian Virtue says, oh, we don't want Planned Parenthood involved. And like Planned Parenthood is not involved. Usually it's like child advocacy groups that provide the education materials that the schools can use. And and Erin Marin's pretty flexible. She's said she'd be OK with amendments to her bill to um, opt kids out of the instruction to protect, protect privacy, offer more curriculum transparency. Um, so it's not like she's saying, hey, it has to run the way that I wrote it. But you have to think it's it's just like a bunch of people got really upset that there might be talk about sex in the classroom. But Aaron says, you know, she was taught about stranger danger. She was never taught to recognize the abuse that was happening to her and that most people who sexually abuse children are people that know the kids, you know, that are people in positions of trust. And in one New York school, they implemented this curriculum and nine kids came forward and the principal had been abusing them, which is just, you know, ugh, so disgusting. What, what's, we talked about this in a similar issue earlier in the week. We're, we're not leaving these kind of decisions to the people who are experts in it, psychologists, and sociologists, and educators. We're having legislators who don't know squat imposing their personal beliefs into the educational system. Right. And there's something mm-hmm. really wrong with that. I completely agree. Like, I don't think that a legislator is an expert on, unless they're a school psychologist or something, or, you know, child psychologist, they're, they're a legislator. Yeah, there's something, something wrong. Well, speaking of education, you're off to see your daughter's graduation. <laughs> uh, we'll figure out what's wrong with your microphone, hopefully for the next episode of the podcast. See you later, Laura. Bye. It's today in Ohio. With the legislature championing a law to make it much easier for teachers to carry guns in schools, should we expect to see pistol-packing teachers in the Cleveland school system anytime soon? Courtney, the mayor, and the CEO of the schools had a joint press conference yesterday to lay out where we're headed. Yeah, so don't expect to see armed teachers in, in, in Cleveland Public Schools anytime soon. Bibb had a wide-ranging kind of press conference about guns, policing, violent crime. Most of it focused on guns yesterday. And in that, he mentioned he's working with um, Eric Gordon to make sure that this House Bill 99, which the governor says he'll sign, which has made its way through the legislature in response to the Uvalde, Texas shooting um, that, that makes it easier for teachers to get armed. It, it really lessens the training requirements for them to pack heat in schools, I guess. Um, Justin Bibb says, no way. He's working with Eric Gordon. Uh, Eric Gordon's going to take a resolution to the Cleveland School Board to lock down that, no, even with these changes in state rules, we're not going to start letting teachers carry weapons. You know what? It- what frightens me about this is that if if the urban districts all do this because it makes sense to do this, you don't want guns in the schools here. I wonder if the legislature then passes a law that prohibits schools from doing this. You know, all they've done here is they've made it much easier for teachers to carry guns. They're not requiring them to have the extra training that had been in the law before, but you know, as we keep talking about, they're crazy down there. And if they feel like this is blocking what they think is the way to solve school shootings, you know, what would Gordon and Bibb do if suddenly the law changed and you couldn't stop this? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, as it stands now, one of the Republican lawmakers who backed this bill told one of our reporters a few weeks ago, the nice thing about this is that it does 
leave these decisions up to local control. So we'll be curious to see if if they backpedal there and 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 bind up that local control and and don't give Cleveland options. What were some of the other things they talked about? I mean, the the one that struck me was that officers are going to be required to walk in neighborhoods for an hour a day, which I, that sounds a bit loony because they have the time. Yeah. So as part of this press conference, Bib did say starting on May 28th, there's a mandate out there for every first and second shift officer to spend an hour of the day walking the beat, you know, community relations, that whole kind of philosophy. But I, I did circle back and ask them, uh, we're short, we're, we're strapped on police officers there's lots of violent crime to be, you know, investigated this summer. How does this not take away? And the answer wasn't, I mean, the answer wasn't that, that sharp of a reply. Um, but, but, but the interim police chief, Wayne Drummond, said, well, let's say that the first shift det- uh, officers are really busy, then they wouldn't have the mandate to go out and walk an hour, that it would pass along to a community relations unit that's stationed at all the <laughs> so it sounds like it's not much of a mandate if there are exceptions like that so I, it seems a little squishy look we're down you know hundreds of officers there there's lots of crime in the city there's shootings every day police i i just i'll be shocked if patrol officers have an extra hour of free time in their day where they can get out of their cars it's a great goal but th- you need to have the time to do it. And from everything we understand, they're overworked. And it sounds like Drummond is acknowledging that. Yeah, well, if we have other stuff to do, we won't be doing that. Well, that's the end of that. You know, you just don't see it happening. Anything else of note? Yeah, one one thing that was really interesting. So, you know, the mayor was up there saying, you know, railing against where we're at with guns in this country generally. And, and he said he feels paralyzed. He, he doesn't have any ability to protect his city essentially because of the way the state laws and federal laws have shaken out over the years but he did mention something interesting there's this other senate bill that that um that's set to go into effect on june 13th we've talked about it widely you don't need a permit or training to carry a gun anymore in ohio starting next week and the police officials and bib yesterday were very concerned about that they urge people go out and get the training even if the law doesn't require it no what you're carrying around and what it can do. But Bib also mentioned something interesting. He said he's asked the law department to see if there's any legal or legislative pathway for the city to push back against this permitless carry law. Now, we've seen Cleveland try and do its own gun laws in the past. Supreme Court says, nope, unconstitutional. So I'll be curious to see if if Bib comes up with some kind of workaround that, that Cleveland hasn't been able to employ before. Yeah. There is no workaround. He's not going to. You know, we're coming up on six months of him as mayor. And so far, with him as mayor and uh, Blaine Griffin as the council president, it seems like they're they're moving. They're working hard. They're doing things. They haven't made a lot of mistakes. Did he seem pretty confident in the press conference yesterday? Um, Just he, one thing we're seeing out of Bib is that he's getting up there and using that mayoral platform not not necessarily always to just roll out big policy things, but to use kind of the bully pulpit and draw attention to things. And that's what kind of yesterday's press conference struck me as. He's just trying to be a face out there speaking on behalf of Cleveland's interests. I keep hearing that whenever he's involved in a meeting that he's clearly the leader in the room, that he is not shy about leading the, the conversation. So long time to go, but so far he really has not stepped in it badly. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
What's the verdict? Should judges be permitted to slap people with longer prison sentences just because defendants cussed out the judges in a courtroom? Lisa, this is a a pretty interesting ruling coming out of the Supreme Court. Well, the Ohio Supreme Court in a 4-3 decision found that obscenities spoken by defendant Mason Bryant are not a legal factor in his sentence and shouldn't be. So what happened was Mason Bryant was being sentenced for aggravated burglary and robbery in Lake County Common Pleas Court Judge Eugene Lucci's court. And uh, after he got his 22-year sentence, he started cursing at the judge through all kinds of obscenities and racial epithets and everything. So Lucci said, well, you're showing no remorse for your crime, so I'm going to add six more years to your sentence for a maximum of 28 years. And this happened back in March 2019. So uh, uh, an earlier ruling by the 11th Court of Appeals upheld that sentence, but the Ohio Supreme Court saw otherwise. The majority opinion was Melody Stewart, Maureen O'Connor, Jennifer Bruner, and Michael Donnelly in their in their write-up. They said, you know, the outburst is actually punishable as contempt of court. But the dissenting justices, Patrick DeWine, Sharon Kennedy, and Patrick Fisher, said the judge's determination of remorse is not appealable. Yeah, except he had already sentenced them. He had already taken everything into consideration and sentenced them. So he was only adding that time because the guy was disrespectful. And, you know, we do have First Amendment rights in this country. You're supposed to be civil in a courtroom and a judge can insist on that. But to add to the sentence, it seems really (laughs) kind of mean and venal and, and vengeful. Uh, interesting, though, that it was such a split. Sharon Kennedy and Pat DeWine really seem like they are always on the wrong side of issues these days. They're both running for re-election this year, and you wonder if the their opponents are going to be able to make clear to the public where they stand. Yeah, and of course, as as we know, you know, they're going to have party designations next to their name, which, you know, I'm sure they hope they're going to get that GOP bump just by having that R next to their name. But hopefully people are paying attention to what they're ruling on. I mean, but, but how how can the Supreme Court justice say, yeah, he deserves six more years because he was frustrated by his sentence and spoke out of turn? That That's just not appropriate. I think most people looking at that would say that the judge should or charge him with contempt for being uncivil right. and, and hit him that way. I guess they can't go back and charge him with contempt now because the statute of limitations on that has to have passed so the guy doesn't serve the six years. It's today in Ohio. I've been hearing from our readers about this almost nonstop. They do not want the Cuyahoga County Council to spend one more penny of their precious tax dollars on the failed medical mart. What did readers tell reporter Caitlin Durbin in her informer poll? Courtney. Yeah, this was really interesting. So over a two-week period, Caitlin got responses, nearly 300 responses. 294 people took the time to respond. And interesting results. 51% of those folks opposed $46 million being invested in the facility like the county is now looking to do. So just over half um, are against this. 16% supported the plan. And then, you know, the rest of the folks either wanted a smaller level investment, but some more public money sunk into it or, you know, needed more information and didn't really have a position. You know, I thought this this um, comment from one respondent was interesting, who said the bottom line is the Global Center needs repurposing, but the proponents have not adequately justified this level of public dollars being put into it. 
So the majority against it, but um, there is wiggle room there. And um, I thought this was also an interesting number. 54% want the county to sell the building. Just just get it off of taxpayers' hands. They're, they're done with it. Yeah, which we've done stories showing you that's pretty much impossible because it's so intertwined. Lisa, you've struggled with this. You've been torn on whether money should be spent and how much money should be spent. Uh, where, where, where do you stand on this now? I think I'm in that third camp that, that Courtney mentioned, that I need more information. I, I think the thing that stops me is the price. I think it that it needs to be done. I think it, it needs to be joined completely because it's already joined via utilities and other physical things to the convention center. It, I don't see repurposing this building any other way except as part of the convention center but like i said it's the price tag that stops me i think it needs to be done but i think there are other ways to finance it yeah they've made it binary they it's a or b and you're right there's probably you know c d and e if you think about it that would be far cheaper to move forward but the way it's been presented to us is we have to spend 46 million dollars to make this work and nobody is saying well do you really need escalators? Do you really need this? You know, what are the big expense items? Are there ways to cut them? You would think that the county council would be doing that, but as we've seen, they are basically become rubber stamps for the administration. You don't really see a whole lot of discussion there. So Interesting stuff. Well, I, I will say this about escalators, though, Chris, is that it really, if you're having a convention with thousands of people in attendance, you really want escalators and not elevators to move those people around. Just saying. And I, and okay. I do just want to note briefly that when I when I started covering this conversation at, at its beginning about a year ago, there were plans that required less public dollars. I don't know why those went out the window in the intervening month months, but there are options there. I think one of the options was just ten million dollars. So I'm curious where those those plans ended up. Me too. We'll have to look into that. You're listening to today in Ohio. The LeBron James Family Foundation just keeps on innovating down in Akron. What's the latest move it is making to improve lives in the community there? Lisa, you got to love what this foundation is doing. Wow. Yeah, LeBron is a force of nature, isn't he? And, and, and Akron's lovely son. And yesterday, the LeBron James Family Foundation announced it will establish the I Promise Health Quarters Primary Health Care Center. It will be open to all Akron residents. It will have medical, dental, optometry, and mental health services. They hope to open it next year at 533 West Market Street, which is right across from the House 330 Job Training Center, which is also part of the LeBron Family Foundation. Uh, they will be renovating an existing building on the site the cost of that is still to be determined and they do hope to uh, include some outdoor green space as well they're partnering with access point community health centers which is a federally funded group that has four sites in akron canton barberton they're also partnering with coleman health services and addiction recovery and behavioral health group and pegs foundation which is a big mental health funder in ohio so akron just continues to be improved by lebron james he gets compared all the time as Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and it's always about the basketball. But I think the the biggest impact he's going to make in a whole lot of lives is what he does in Akron. And it was reported he became a billionaire, uh, the first active basketball player to become a billionaire while he's playing. 
but but he has just devoted himself to really changing the community and this is a big step it'll be interesting to see how it develops uh, when you add it to the i promise schools you're listening to today in ohio how is Goodyear, the whole reason we call Akron the rubber city, moved away from using petroleum products and some of the tires it makes? Courtney, I'm always going to have a difficult time understanding how you can use plant products in place of petroleum products, but that's the way it goes. Yeah, very interesting here. So Goodyear's taken to using soybean oil, and I, I believe six different of its tire products, including four for passenger cars. One I know I've seen on the shelves. I, I think it's called the Assurance Weather Ready Tire. No idea it, it included soybean oil. So reporter Peter Krause told us that oil makes up about 8% of a tire's weight. So that's a substantial part of a tire. And they've been offsetting some of that petroleum-based oil with this, this soybean oil. And I think it's really interesting that a, a, a guy with Goodyear told Pete that that this oil is actually more compatible with different polymers they use in their products. He said the soybean oil helps provide exceptional winter performance while maintaining, you know, all weather attributes of some tires. And that's very interesting. He's saying it's it's got benefits above the petroleum oil. And, and Pete also reported this is part of kind of a trend towards using more biomaterials in tire production. Other manufacturers are looking at interesting, um, you know, alternatives to natural rubber and, and looking at dandelions and rice husks to round out some tire technology. So interesting developments, I'd say. Yeah, I just, when I look at a plant and I look at a tire, it's hard to see how one can become the other. Good story by Pete Krause. Check it out on cleveland.com. It's Today in Ohio. Lisa, I've left some time for this one. We ran several stories on a Cleveland cop who lost his job after being accused of taking bribes. That officer is telling a completely different story than what the city did in a lawsuit he filed to get his name back along with damages. Take us through this one. Okay, there's a little bit of a twist and turn here, so let me see if I can lay this out. So the lawsuit was filed by Vincent Montague. He's a former Cleveland police sergeant and former president of the Cleveland Police Department Black Shield Association, which represents black officers. So he filed this lawsuit alleging racial and employment discrimination in his firing after a bribery investigation. So this goes back to an incident in 2018. The owner of the Duck Island Bar, Andrew Long, had talked to Montague and said, look, you know, how can I help out the police and how can I, you know, get some security for my place? So Montague said, hey, I know this lieutenant, Timothy Mafo Judd, who can, you know, be your off-duty security. So that happened. And then Mafo Judd, uh, apparently, I'm sorry. Yeah, like I said, it's a long kind of twisty story. So Long, the bar owner, later told Mafo Judd that he would pay him $300 to let the bar serve alcohol after 2.30 a.m. Well, Long was wearing a wire. He arrested him. Uh, the bar owner, Andrew Long, uh, was sentenced to a year in prison for after pleading guilty to bribery. So Montague set up Long with Mafo Judd. 
He was never charged in this case, but he was accused of lying to the Internal Affairs Division, and that's why he was fired. He did not attend his disciplinary hearing because he was on active duty with the U.S. Navy. So Montague's attorney, Chris McNeil, says the city has different standards for disciplining white and black officers and that Montague's career and reputation has been, quote, lynched. The defendants in the suit include the city, safety director Carrie Howard, and uh, that LP, that CPD Lieutenant Timothy Mafo Judd, who was part of the situation. So I hope I explained that. So yeah. Montague, Montague set it up, but he never like, yeah. Well, and he's saying he's, he set up a conversation with them, but it was never with the idea that it was to, to get bribes to allow after-hours sales. He set up a meeting for what was supposed to be a security arrangement, off-duty security um, and instead now he's been painted as a guy who arranged for the whole bribery thing. But like you said, never charged, never given the opportunity to defend himself. You know, when you're off on military duty, they're supposed to treat you differently and wait for you to get back. And they proceeded without it. The, the lawsuit, it's a lawsuit, so it's always slanted in favor of the plaintiff. But it'll be interesting to see how this develops. If he gets a decent settlement, it'll be proof that the city did him wrong. Should point out, Lisa is having some major work done on her house. And so that noise you heard in the background is construction. It's the summer months in Cleveland. That's when this kind of stuff takes place. And it's impossible to mask the sound. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That does it for the Wednesday conversation. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks to Laura. Thank you for listening. 